if someone's truly dedicated and wants to be a leader, a manager, they will find the means to become a better manager. They'll think, they'll read, they'll go to seminars, they'll they'll connect with people like yourself. But I find it that if they were never really interested and you kind of force them into it and they like you, so they did it, they'll always have that over you. And they'll say, well, you remember, I really didn't ask for this. So holding, holding them accountable to being a great leader is nearly impossible. And I learned that the hardware, uh, hard way. And, and I, I tell everybody, don't do it. Don't force it. Really have people scream out the fact that they want to be leaders. Have you ever seen someone in a leadership position that gives you that feeling that they really don't want to be leading? Evita sits down with Jeff Tan, an official member of the Forbes Technology Council, former chief information officer of Goodwill Industries, and a tech leader with over 30 years in the technology space to discuss strategies to be a better leader for your company as well as your family. Let's dive in. Good morning and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tech Leaders Playbook. Today, I'm extremely excited to welcome a great guest, Jeff Tan. Uh, Jeff, welcome aboard. Welcome to my show. Great to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Glad to have you. Jeff, you and I had a great conversation probably about a month ago, and we hit it off about uh, you know leadership con- uh, concepts and tech and where it's headed. And so we wanted to continue this conversation. First of all, guys, everyone uh, needs to know Jeff's background. Jeff is the founder, speaker, author. He um, is a founder of a company called Ton uh, Enterprises, which is his company where they focus on leadership. So Jeff, tell us a little bit about your story. Where did you get started and what's led you to this, this point in your career? Well, I started off in tech. In fact, most of my career was in tech. Uh, I started uh, life in tech as a programmer. Uh, We would call those developers today or software engineers, but we were called programmers back in the day. And I was a long hair hippie COBOL programmer. Nice. Um, COBOL. You uh, definitely aged yourself. Oh, yeah. 80s? uh, Yeah, the 80s, 80s and 90s. I rocked COBOL. It was awesome. Uh, that was all, that's always my fallback plan, right? Is if uh, if the current gig doesn't work out, I can always go back and code COBOL. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, I I like to joke and say I got drug kicking and screaming into management at some okay. point in my career. I did not want to do that. I didn't want to play the political games. I just uh, and finally I said yes. I had a couple of good friends that kind of kicked me in the butt and said you need to do this. You'd be good at it. So I made the transition from individual contributor to uh, manager and leader, worked my way up in a uh, global uh, company of about 56,000 people, worked my way up to the director role uh, in IT, really wanted to become a CIO. I wanted that opportunity to have control of a department and, and do it my way, do it the, what I considered the right way, right? So I left that organization to become CIO for a commercial real estate developer that was just skyrocketing at the time. We built an amazing team uh, of individuals. And then uh, 2008, 2009, real estate crash came and uh, we disassembled the team. Uh, I joined a nonprofit as their CIO. Uh, Goodwill Industries here in central Indiana, was their CIO for a number of years, Uh, just had a great partnership with the vice president of retail. And we really, we did digital transformation before it was called digital transformation. 
Um, and I really felt at that point that I wanted to join a tech company. So I moved to the dark side and became a vendor um, and uh, uh, did that for a number of years. We sold our company and I stayed with that company, the acquiring company for a couple of years. Uh, and then wanted to go out on my own. I really wanted to focus on leadership development. Uh, I'd written a book, uh, Amplify Your Value, about leading IT, uh, and was were starting to do speaking engagements related to that. So uh, ended up at the beginning of the pandemic uh, talking with our board about uh, taking a package and and writing off and doing my own thing, which is Ton Enterprises. I was real original with that name. Uh, right. Um, couldn't I come bet. up with much better. Um, so uh, I've been doing that now about three and a half years, and it includes uh, uh, several key clients that I work with and just having a great time really focused on uh, changing the face of IT, building that next generation of leader. Uh, I think that the the skills that we that generally get us to the top of the technology uh, food chain, if you will, are basically our technical chops. Uh, and I think what's really needed in business today are more of our soft skills. Uh, and so Agreed. we focus on building those soft skills in the leaders of tomorrow. Hey, Jeff, what's the what's the key difference between a CIO and a CTO for, for some of our listeners? Some organizations have both, which is rare. Some mm -hmm. only have one and the other. What do you see as the, the key difference between the two? I, I think the key difference, especially with organizations that have both, is CIO is more internally focused, focused on the internal systems of the organization. The CTO is focused more on the technology that faces the customer whether it's consumer facing or B2B doesn't matter, but they're, they have that focus. Uh, and I think to me, that's the biggest difference. Do you find that they could be equally technical or do you see the CTOs being more technical and the CIOs being more business, business oriented, more IT infrastructure oriented, or does it just depend on the individual? I think a lot depends on the individual, but I think what happens is the CIO ends up almost becoming the chief infra infrastructure officer, right? Mm -hmm. They're focused more uh, more that way. I, I think that's diminishing the role a little bit. Uh, in fact, um, on my podcast, Status Go, we just did an episode called The CIO is Dead, Long Live the CIO. Uh, <laughs> and it's about the proliferation of CXO titles. You've got CIO, CTO, CDO, CDXO, right? And I, I think that's a uh, a symptom of maybe the CIO is not doing the things that their organization really needs them to do. Interesting. Um, or the organization is so large, one person can't do it all. Correct. Um, how did it feel being a CIO at a nonprofit? I learned a lot about a nonprofit from uh, one of the CEOs of um, the Boys and Girls Club. I didn't realize what oh, yeah. business it was. What did it feel like? What was the key difference between working there and a product company? Uh, and what did you, you know, what, what's the kind of a misnomer or something that yeah. a misunderstanding about these type of organizations? Well, I, I think it depends on the size of organization. But, but to me, the, the biggest difference is people are there for the mission. That's why you join the organization. You believe in the mission. Uh, and, and even if you're not directly attached to the mission, like maybe you're a, a help desk person in IT, uh, you still are there because you love and believe in the mission. 
where some of the differences come in really comes in on the size of the nonprofit. Something like the Boys and Girls Club is a little bit bigger than a lot of nonprofits where maybe budgets are incredibly tight. Um, you know, what, what you deal with a lot in the nonprofit space is every dollar not spent on the mission is a dollar not spent on the mission. Uh, and so you're trying to, to uh, influence and get funding for IT projects. And you have to always tie it back is what's going to be the impact on the mission. Because if you don't make that tie back, uh, you're not going to get the funding very easily. And it's truly mission driven the way you, you hear them talking about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great to hear. And, 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 you know, I, I, I think our, our uh, for-profit companies could take a, list, uh, a lesson from the nonprofit playbook and talk more about what is their vision, what is their mission, so that you get people behind that vision and mission uh, and keep it on the forefront. Too often, we get lost in the P&L and the balance sheet and cash flow, which are all important, but I think we we lose sight of what's our vision? What are we trying to do? Uh, and why do people get on the bus to join us in that vision? I agree, Jeff. And in fact, even if you and I care about the bottom line and the profits and EBITDA and, and all this, technically your employees don't care, right? Yeah, yeah, and I don't right. blame them for not caring about my EBITDA, right? It doesn't mean anything to them. What ties into people want to kind of hitch their wagon on a, a great mission where they can help someone, help people yes. uh, and help themselves. So I think you're yeah, right. We, yeah. need to, we need to create a vision. We need to create a mission that people can stand by. Otherwise, they won't care. Right. Absolutely. Jeff, what, you know, you, you mentioned something really interesting. In the 80s, you were a programmer. That was your love. <laughs> and they yes. kicking and, and, and screaming, they got you into leadership. Yes. Over the last 20 years, I've seen a shift, uh, and I'm sure you have as well, where companies have created two different career tracks. You've got the technical yes. career track, and you've got the managerial career track. And a lot of folks just stay technical. And Absolutely. companies have created opportunities where someone could get the type of respect that they that you would get with leadership and potentially the income that would come with leadership without the headaches. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> so you know what what's your thoughts on that? Is that something that creates a huge bottleneck for companies meaning why would anyone ever want to get into leadership? Um right and stay in leadership and and, and two is it a good idea? Yeah. Well, even back in in my day when I made that decision it was probably the mid 90s I guess. Uh, that I made that decision to go into management. You you do, you have two tracks. You stay individual contributor, stay technical, or you start managing people. Um, and it's not for everybody. Uh, I think companies that have now built two separate career tracks, I, I still believe for the most part, compensation wise, if you go into management, go into leadership, you've got a, you've got a higher upper end Yes. Uh, than you do if you stay in, as an individual contributor. That was one of the things that attracted me to the, to the roles. But I think you have to think of it more as you're leading people, you're helping people grow. Uh, you're helping them succeed. And what I learned very quickly as I made that transition is I, I used to get such a, a, a thrill uh, out of talking with someone about a problem they were experiencing and solving it with code. To me, that rush 
was just just incredible, right? Um, and what I learned was when I moved into leadership, when I moved into management, uh, helping someone grow in their career and succeed in their career was even a bigger rush to me. I really enjoyed helping people meet their potential. In fact, I used to tell when I was in that CIO role uh, at those couple of organizations, I used to tell my team all the time, the proudest day in my career will be when you come into my office to resign because you're going down the street to be CIO. Wow. That means that means I did my job. I got you ready. Um, and, uh, you know, I look around the Indianapolis community where I'm from uh, and, you know, I can point to different companies and say that CIO is someone that I used to work with. That CIO is someone I used to work. With. And, and it's a source of pride, but it's also a, a source of accomplishment. Right. Absolutely. It's like it's your tree. It's your tree yeah, yeah. of coaches you've developed. Um, yeah. I don't know if you're a sports fan, but uh, Greg Popovich of the Spurs, yes. he, you know, his assistants have become some of the best coaches in the NBA. And I think that's something that that's huge on his legacy and will be forever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Jeff, what, um, you know, once people do get into leadership, what advice would you give leaders who are struggling with managing technology and people effectively? Because those are two completely different things. Yeah. It, you know, I, I, it's difficult because when you start ma uh, managing technology resources, people that are the individual contributors, uh, you, you need their respect. Um, and so you have to stay in touch with the technical sides of the job enough that uh, you, you have the respect of those that, that are working together with you uh, because otherwise they won't follow you. Yes. Especially when you're that, that new manager or maybe you're one level up. Uh, it's just so hard uh, because, uh, you know, they'll just start talking circles around you if you don't understand the, the technology. I, I remember my first CIO role. I grew up on the app side, as I said, you know, I was software development. So the servers and this infrastructure was, uh, and networking was, oh, my God, it was foreign territory for me. Uh, so I got this first job and uh, I can remember meeting with one of our vendors probably in the first or second week that I was there. Uh, and after the meeting, one of the one of the guys, uh, Jeff Pearson, pulled me aside and he said, Jeff, I, I, I see that you don't get it. You don't you're, you're not there. He says, I want to help you. So he came over to our office every Friday afternoon for I don't know, four or five months. And he would whiteboard out networking and infrastructure. And he basically taught me Amazing. enough to get by, right? I mean, I was, you, you still wouldn't want me uh, configuring your router, but I, I at least could talk the lingo with the team uh, and understand and, and help make decisions because of that. So you need somebody like that. So I, I would say the advice is, uh, understand where your gaps are and continue to try to fill them, but don't lose sight of the fact that you're now in leadership and you need to con continue to develop that. I find a lot of people when they get into those roles, they might've been in a management program as they're trying to work their way up and then they arrive uh, and they stop learning. Yeah. Uh, I think you have to continue to learn, continue to grow uh, and, and that includes on the leadership side of things as well. Very nice. Jeff, one of the things that uh, I think you, you would agree with is anyone 
any company that's trying to force a brilliant technologist into a leadership role and that person does not want to be in a leadership role, stop. Yes. Uh, I've made this mistake with technical people and non-technical people. They, these are the individuals that, you, like you said, they won't they i do believe that people can learn to be good leaders right yes yes some of it is 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 nature some of it is nurture the nurture part if someone's truly dedicated and wants to be a leader a manager yes. they will find the means to become a better manager they'll think they'll right. read they'll go to seminars they'll they'll connect with people like yourself but i find it that if they were never really interested and you kind of force them into it and they like you mm -hmm. so they did it they'll always have that over you and they'll say well yes. you remember i really didn't ask for this, for this. so right, holding, right, holding right. them accountable to being a great leader is nearly impossible and i learned yes. that the hardware yeah. uh, hard way and and i i tell everybody don't do it don't force it really have people scream out the fact that they want to be leaders through yes. their actions and verbally because those are the people who will do whatever it takes to become great managers. And sometimes yeah. we do this to protect ourselves, right? So we yeah. need some people to, to – we can't in, manage 40, 50, 100 individuals, so we put a barrier in between protection. Uh -huh. yeah. The challenge is – when that person finally is found out or can't do it anymore, well, you got to go and clean up that mess. Right. And it's a right. lot bigger of a mess. And I think the impact, negative impact that we can make on our staff members by giving them a bad manager is so much yeah. worse than just trucking through it and being patient and maybe hiring a, an outsider yeah. who does have to ramp up. And it takes time and it's painful, but it's better than forcing someone into a manager role that I, they're not totally ready agree. or interested in. One of, one of the hardest things when you make that transition is to let go of the technical side. I remember when I moved into that role, the, the application that I spent a good chunk of my career working on was the order, order system for a large consumer electronics company. Uh, and that was my baby, right? I'd, I'd been... Uh, the the lead programmer, the lead support technician, everything on that application, and to let go of that and turn it over to somebody else, you know, they could never do it as well as I could do it, right? And I and I think when you force someone to make that step, they end up becoming a micromanager, yes, because they can't let go of the details. And gosh, Avidas, I have to tell you how to do it. I don't, you know, it's not telling you what to do. It's I got to tell you how, because this is the right way. Uh, and I think that's a challenge when you do that. Massive challenge. And I think I'm big on delegating and elevating. Uh, and, yes. and you won't do that if you're, 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 you've left, you're still, your mind is still in the code, right? In, in right. whatever individual tasks that you were great at. And I yeah. think you miss out on both sides because when that person becomes a manager, they naturally have to sell less or uh, code yeah. less or whatever they were doing in the previous role that they were yeah. really good at, you know? Yeah. Jeff, let's say we do have a great leader. Uh, well, let's say we have someone that is a natural leader and wants to be mm -hmm. in leadership, but they're not ready. You told me, I think during our conversation that you have this great uh, leadership program that I think you guys do a big uh, powwow and go off site. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that. Well, this, uh, this program is uh, leadership development based on the story of Lewis and Clark. Ah. It's for leaders, mostly I'd say uh, high potential established leaders, uh, someone who's just brand new might not uh, fit with the rest of the group, is, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But 
What we do is uh, it's for a client of mine, FCCS Consulting out of Denver. Uh, and what they part of what they do is experiential learning. And the idea is if you have a strong metaphor and you drive these leadership lessons home attached to that story, attached to that metaphor, they, they make the, the lessons more real and they make them more actionable. So, for example, they do a program at Gettysburg where they talk about the battlefield and you talk to historians, and, but you're always bringing it back to how does that apply to business today? So we, do, we built this program based on the story of Lewis and Clark, and we bring people out to the Columbia River Gorge for the, for the most part, uh, about 40 miles east of Portland, and beautiful lodge high on a bluff overlooking the Columbia River, and we get people out of their comfort zone. And we talk about the story of Lewis and Clark, but more importantly, vision and what makes a vision powerful. We were talking about that earlier when we were talking about nonprofits and, and our for-profit cousins could learn from that. What makes a vision powerful? How do you hand a vision off to other people? We talk about team building and how do you create uh, this exceptional team because uh, Lewis and Clark uh, are successful where others failed because they had an incredible team of people around them. They didn't do it on their own. We talk about overcoming obstacles and how do you how do you plan and prepare for obstacles, both known and unknown, developing resilience in yourself and in others. And uh, how do you proceed on in the face of burnout and distraction? That becomes important as a leader also. So it's a, it's a great program and uh, uh, we've been running it now. We launched in 2021. Uh, so we've been running it, uh, this is our, our third season. Uh, and already making big plans for our fourth season next year. If someone's interested in being part of this, how do you how do they reach out to you, Jeff? So they because this sounds great. I even mentioned I may if I can find the time potentially do it. That'd be awesome. We'd love to. We'd love to have you. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to connect with me or my website, uh, JeffreySTun.com. Uh, FCCSConsulting.com is where you can find their website and register. But I'm happy to point you to that URL for Amazing. registration if you reach out to me. Jeff, do any of these lessons resonate? <sighs> for people on a human level and their families? Because uh, too often we're focused on being leaders for our staff, which is wonderful. We forget our families. We for, you know, we neglect yeah. that we need to be great leaders uh, for them. Could, could any of these lessons be learned and applied to the family? Absolutely. One of the, one of the greatest pieces of feedback that we've received from the program, one of the women that took the, took the course uh, last summer wrote in her feedback that this was life-changing, not, not only for my career, but for my personal life as well. And uh, she didn't specify exactly which piece of it, but when you think about some of the things that we teach in this course, we do talk about what's your vision. And we don't talk about vision and purpose much, our personal life, but we all have one. Absolutely. We all have what we want our families to be and how, how we want our future to unfold. And so being able to articulate that is important. I think where it really comes in is uh, in, that, uh, in the module that I mentioned about burnout and distraction is how to take care of yourself. Uh, as a leader. And that helps if you're taking care of yourself as a leader at work, that's helping you be uh, uh, prepared to help take care of your family, right? If you're healthy, if you're rested, 
you're going to be able to, to to better interact and take care of your family. So we talked about we talked about rest, realignment, and reorientation as part of this concept, and I think that plays well. Reducing stress is a great way to to help your family as well. It's amazing taking micro vacations mentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. actual vacations where you can get away and and yeah. kind of clear your mind. And we talk a lot about journaling in this course throughout the course. Lewis and Clark wrote uh, over a million words in their journals over the three and a half years. And so we teach the participants about journey, journaling and the benefits you get. And that helps you both in your professional life and your personal life as well. Jeff, where? thank you for that. That was great. The last 30, 35 years you've been in IT, tech, whatever you want to call it. Uh, how have you seen um, leadership and te technology evolving? What have you seen an obvious shift and change? I tell you, the biggest thing that I have seen is really in the last several years is the realization from others in the business that technology is a part of the business and almost every company is a technology company at, at the foundation. And that really came came to fruition in the early days of the pandemic when the IT team really kind of saved the bacon for a lot of organizations, enabling them all of a sudden to, to work from home uh, when maybe they didn't adopt that before. I have a friend of mine that's a CIO for a large organization, and he talks about, you know, I went from, from 40 locations to 4,000 locations overnight. Wow. Um, you know, because they send everybody home. Sure. But but what really happened is this newfound appreciation for technology, uh, the consumer driven aspects of technology that went across the board. What did everybody start doing when when we had the shutdown? They started buying online, even your groceries. Right. You were shopping online. Well, companies that didn't have an app all of a sudden needed one very quickly. And so you saw this this marriage between the mission and vision of the business and the technology to implement it. To me, that's the biggest shift. IT has come out of the back room and into the boardroom. Absolutely. I, I've seen that very quick. I've seen that even in the last 16 years. I've only been in yeah. the industry for, you know, in tech for 15, 16 years. I've seen massive shifts and I've seen massive shifts even in markets like LA. I don't know if you know much about the LA market. Every, everything real tech, real was done in the Bay Area. That's yeah, that's yeah, yeah. changed immensely. LA made its move 10 years ago and it's a big player. Now you could do it out of Wisconsin. I mean, there's companies yeah. Oh, yeah. Pop it, popping out of Eastern Europe all day and they're making, you know, their billion dollar valuations. I've seen companies, yes. country, you know, companies out of uh, co tiny companies like Estonia and Armenia with $1 billion mm -hmm. valuations. I mean, it, it's nuts. Uh, yeah, that could have yeah. never happened five years ago, even. Absolutely. Jeff, in your book, I think it's called Amplifying Value right? Or mm -hmm. amplify your Amp value. Amplify it, your value. Right. It focuses on creating a vision, developing strategies, executing them. Uh, this is a big, big question. We should probably read the book, but walk me through, <laughs> walk me through what it takes to create a vision and develop a strategy and to actually execute on it. Wow. That, so I don't have such, to read your thousand it's, it's, uh, page book. Well, it's not a thousand pages, so you could, you could knock it out in a, in a few days. Nice. Um, I, I tell you, the, the biggest lesson, in my opinion, that, that comes out of that book is you have to start with the company vision. What is the company trying to accomplish? And then you have to take this complex world of technology 
and put it in business terms. A great story that I that I relate in the book, and this will give you an idea of it. When I joined that commercial real estate company, the first thing that they wanted us to do was to build an IT strategy. So I did what every um, every CIO loves to do when they need to build a strategy. I hired consultants, <laughs> uh, and they came in and. They did a great job documenting our systems and and we had all this documentation, but we didn't have a story to tell, mm. right? And so I was talking with one of our construction project managers, Matt Cachette, shout out to Matt if he's listening. Uh, um, and I'm telling him this problem and he said, well, the executive team makes these multi-million dollar decisions every day. And when they do it, they always use what they call an investment memo. And it's very structured, the different pieces of it. So why don't you put your strategic plan in the format of an investment memo? It's like, oh man, it's like the, you know, the the sun broke through the clouds and all of a sudden you have that epiphany, right? So Matt and I actually took all this data that the consultant did uh, and created this investment memo uh, because they, you know, they've got comparables and benchmarks and all these things that you put into a good strategic plan. And we sat down and we told it and used the verbiage that you would use in construction of a new high rise building, right? Uh, A building has to be connected to the outside world. That's your internet. uh, That's your power for your data center, blah, blah, blah. Uh, You have the core and shell of the building. Anyway, we won't go into all those details. But you, we told the IT story in that language. And when we got done, the CEO, Greg Gernick, uh, leans back in his chair and puts his hand behind his head and said, you know, that's the first time I ever understood IT. Oh, my God, what a winning moment, right? He understood what we were trying to do. And, and because when you're, when you're in something like commercial real estate, uh, these are limited liability partnerships. So when you're asking them to spend money on IT, you're taking money literally out of their pockets, out of the partner's pockets. So we're asking for, I don't know, $30 million, whatever the price tag was back then. And, you know, that could be their new their, their new home in Florida or oh, yeah. could be their next airplane or whatever it is, right? <laughs> These poor people, um, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and uh, uh, they'll all kill me for, for talking okay. to them. Uh, but. You have, you have to show them the value and how that's going to bring it, but you've got to do it in business terms. You can't talk about uptime and servers and, uh, and, they, don't care. and all that. they don't care. What they care about is how is this going to help us, in that case, build buildings more efficiently, uh, build them better, of higher value, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and so we did that. And I think that's one of the major lessons from the, from the book is – you got to stop thinking about IT and start thinking about the business that you're in. Nice. I had a, speaking of airplanes, I had a buddy that ran a company in Van Nuys, but he lived in uh, further than Camarillo. And I said, do you commute every day? He goes, yeah, it's no big deal. And I poked him a few times until he told me that well, he takes his airplane, right? Parks it in the Van Nuys airport and then skates to work. I was like, wow, what a dream. Yeah, no kidding. No I thought kidding. that was I thought that was really cool. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. Chef, the um, I know you're probably not an AI expert, but being technical and and uh, being a curious individual, I'm sure you've already looked into it. How do you see Absolutely. AI shaping the next ten years of of technology and IT and all of that? I I think it's even it's hard for us to sit here and imagine what ten years is going to 
going to do. Uh, look at, and, and AI has been around for a while, but what really happened was that when they released ChatGPT to the public, uh, all of a sudden generative AI, large language models uh, just exploded, right? Uh, and the next generation was exponentially more powerful than the previous. And we're going to continue to see that. I think from a technology profession perspective, what you're going to see is more of a, of a verticalization or specialization within uh, technology. You're, you're going to have software engineers that are also um, maybe they're um, climate scientists and software engineers, or maybe they're um, they're in retail, but they're software engineers, right? So they're going to specialize because AI is going to do the simple work of generating the code that you tell it to generate. But you have to be the part that thinks creatively about a solution to a problem. And the, the problem may not even exist yet. The problem may be three, five, six, seven years down the road. We as humans have to anticipate that and anticipate that road ahead and use AI as a tool to help us achieve that. I think that's that that's kind of the future that I see for it. Right. Thank you for that. Jeff, is there anything that that I left out that, you know, with 35 years of experience and all this knowledge that you could uh, pass off to to our listeners? Well, I, I appreciate the, the 35 years of experience because it's closing in on 45 oh, now. Oh, Lord. I'm getting old. I think we've hit the, the real gist of it. I, I think for those uh, of your listeners that are, that are technologists that have this aspiration to maybe make that pivot into the leadership uh, side of the house, uh, focus on communication, collaboration, team building, design thinking, system thinking. I think those are all pieces that we are going to need. I think the other aspect that we haven't touched on is diversity within our teams, diversity of thought, diversity of experience, of background, because the problems that we are facing in our companies, in our personal lives, in our uh, in our country are so complex that we're going to need multiple points of view to solve those problems. And I, I, I think if, if you take anything away from our conversation today, it's that focus on those soft skills and focus on bringing diversity of thought into your organization. I love it. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for sharing your, your incredible knowledge base and uh, looking forward to being on your awesome podcast. That's going to be fun. We're going to, to the listeners, we're going to be recording that next. So uh, be on the lookout for an episode of Status Go with Avidas. Yes. Love it. Love it. Jeff, thank you so much. I will see you very soon and looking forward to connecting about other, other tech topics and leadership. Awesome. Thanks Take for care, having Jeff. me on the show. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of another great episode of the Tech Leaders Playbook. I want to thank you for joining us and hope you took away some valuable insights to apply in your professional journey. Don't forget to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss out on the next great conversation. I promise it'll be good. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you could leave us a review. Your feedback not only helps us improve, but also help others discover the podcast. Better leaders mean better working environments. Better working environments leads to happier people. Remember, a rising tide lifts all boats. I'm Avita Santablian, and this has been the Tech Leaders Playbook.